The least impressive, possibly impaired president I have ever seen came out tonight and is ordering Americans to get the COVID vaccine, ordering us. Whatever happened to my body, my choice. Remember that? Joe Biden is talking tough. Now, there's a reason for this. Hey, we don't think he has the authority to do this, by the way. Uh, but here he is, pretending at least. I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. I happen to be vaccinated because it was my choice, all right? And it's your choice as well. Joe Biden doesn't get to tell me or you what to do with our bodies. I think we agree. And guess what? A lot of lawyers do as well. More on that in a moment. Next up. I will sign an executive order that will now require all executive branch federal employees to be vaccinated. All. And I've signed another executive order that will require federal contractors to do the same if you want to work with the federal government and do business with us, get vaccinated. So that's about 4 million people in addition to the 80 million people he thinks he can boss around. My message to unvaccinated Americans is this. What more is there to wait for? What more do you need to see? We've made vaccinations free, safe and convenient. The vaccine is FDA approval. Over 200 million Americans have gotten at least one shot. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. He lost a war last week, and his patience is wearing thin. His patience is wearing thin. Yes, just last week, the scenes from Afghanistan. They are desperately trying to change the subject. And you know what? It seems to be working. It seems to be working, even though we still have Americans there right now can't get them out. We are powerless, it seems, to do so. And speaking of uh, unvaccinated people, Joe, all these folks coming in, totally unvetted, many of them, that's a problem. Maybe you should start focusing on that. I know you should start focusing on that. But look, like so many liberals, he's hung up on power. He's hung up on virtue signaling. And boy, oh boy, COVID, as they said during the campaign, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to Joe Biden. The greatest gift ever was COVID, according to a senior communications advisor of his during the campaign, a woman named Anita Dunn. All right. But the good news is, as we look at this, it's against the Constitution. Joe Biden cannot mandate this. He can't. He wants to. He wants to pretend. Now, I've been hearing from people, though, well, what about smallpox? What about polio? I mean, we made that essentially mandatory. Well, Ooh, totally different scenario. Smallpox, polio, the mortality rates of those disease is, uh, you can see, very, very high. Uh, the mortality rate, however, for COVID is a totally different situation. So they're ramping up the hysteria and trying to get the kids involved. Tonight, the COVID emergency for children. The record surge just as millions head back to school. More than one in four new cases in the U.S. now involving kids as the battle over the classroom rages. One in four new cases involving kids. And for kids, basically, that means the sniffles. All right. Kids are resilient and kids 
are not dying. Take a look at these mortality rates, all right? This is incredibly low. And they also don't talk too much these days about the mortality rates involving adults, also quite low. And who in that 1.6% are actually dying? Well, it tends to be older Americans, many of them retirees. But Joe Biden, as you heard, is essentially mandating this for all Americans, all. He's hung up on power, desperate to change the subject. And I'm not a doctor, but you know what? This may not be for everybody. Take a look at the side effects uh, from the vaccine. Blood clots, nerve disorder, heart inflammation, abnormal menstruation, uh, Guillain-Barr, that's a syndrome, muscle weakness and paralysis. That's significant stuff. And you know what, just because it's FDA approved, lots of medications are FDA approved with all kinds of side effects. Some people have had changes in behavior, hostility, agitation, depressed mood, and suicidal thoughts or actions. People at risk for stomach ulcers or who take certain other medicines should tell their doctors because serious stomach problems such as bleeding may get worse. Call your doctor if you have high fever, stiff muscles, and confusion to address a possible life-threatening condition, or if you have uncontrollable muscle movements, as these could become permanent. You can't force somebody to expose themselves to all those things. Th th those commercials are not related to the COVID vaccine, but the COVID vaccine has some side effects potentially. They can't force us. They can't. Again, I elected to. You know something? In a strange way, Kamala Harris and I might have something in common on this. This is what she said uh, during the campaign. If the doctors tell us that we should take it, I'll be the first in line to take it. Absolutely. But if Donald Trump tells us I should that we should take it, I'm not taking it. So here's the deal. Kamala Harris doesn't have to take it for any reason she wants, whether she's concerned about something a doctor said or she didn't like Donald Trump, whatever. She was a federal employee back then. I guess she would have refused the vaccine, huh? Um, you can refuse this vaccine for whatever reason you want, and you can take it for the reasons that we all know. That is Kamala Harris's choice, huh? Remember, my body, my choice. Rallying cry for the left when they're talking about abortion. But you know what? Maybe that should be the uh, rallying cry of uh, folks who are reluctant to take this vaccine. Um, this is a great question for the administration, by the way. What about my body, my choice? All right. Thanks, everyone. What happened to my body, my choice when it comes to vaccinations in the Biden administration? And in 2020, President-elect Biden said he would not demand vaccine mandates. Just ran away. It's true. That was Emerald Robinson, our White House correspondent. And Joe Biden, as a candidate, said he would not mandate the vaccine. No, I don't think it should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand to be mandatory. Not long ago. December of 20. Hmm? Won't be mandatory. What happened? Afghanistan happened. Afghanistan happened. He lost a war and he wants us to forget about it. Not happening. And oh, by the way, regarding Afghanistan, the Chinese seem to be moving in very, very fast. We'll have more when I return. We need more than a fox to guard the liberal media. 
turn to the smart, conservative news that you can trust. Newsmax. Real news for real people. Newsmax cuts through the noise to deliver the inside look and breaking stories you can trust. No bias, no BS. Unintimidated and unafraid. Every minute, every day. Don't get outfoxed. Get the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. All I can say is that that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? The fake news, the fake news going right along with Joe Biden, saying this vaccine mandate is righteous and good, that he is the authority to call for this, and forgetting about Afghanistan. That's what Joe Biden wants, that's what the media wants, and that is what I refuse to do. We just lost a war in Afghanistan. And there are questions, plenty of questions that haven't really been asked. I know some people out there have made these observations And they're very interesting. First of all, you know that China is moving into Afghanistan in a big way with money, with investment. They've got their eye on all kinds of things. There's lithium to be mined in Afghanistan. I didn't know about that. And, of course, all of the military hardware we left behind. China is right next door to Afghanistan, share a pretty small border, 47 miles. But they are neighbors. And Joe has always been quite clear about how close he is with uh, President Xi, even before Joe Biden was president himself. I've spent more time with Xi Jinping, at least before we got out, than any world leader has. I've traveled 17,000 miles with him, the president of China. Wow, he's kind of uh, really emphatic about that. And more? I've known Xi Jinping for a long time. Allegedly, by the time I left office as vice president, I had spent more time with Xi Jinping than any world leader had. I made it clear to him again, when I've told him in person on several occasions, that we're not looking for confrontation, although we know there will be steep, steep competition. So if he spent all that time with President Xi back when he was vice president, I am wondering, was all that time spent on America's business, all that time, all of it on America's business? Did he ever mention Hunter? Well, Hunter Biden made the big trip to China with then-Vice President Joe Biden. Now, the fake news has paid very, very little attention to this, but it's hugely troubling, all right? Now, it turns out that Hunter was introducing the sitting Vice President of the United States to all kinds of potentially shady business people in the hotel where they were staying. Uh, This came up once in the mainstream media. Hunter gave an excuse, and they all accepted it, and then the story went away. But the story's not over. Your father did shake hands with Mr. Lee, though, correct, in the lobby of that hotel? I don't remember, but probably. Yeah, I hope so. I hope he did. He was my friend. Jonathan Lee. Uh, Yeah, for... For uh, almost uh, 13 years. He was your friend and your business business partner. I understand. So really, Amy, whether I'm in New York or whether I'm in Washington, D.C., a friend and a business associate is in the hotel. And my dad's staying there. Is it inappropriate? For me to have coffee with them? So that meeting was not a mistake. It was not unethical. 100% not. I don't know. Probably. Hope so. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Hope so. Um, It would be very odd. You know, Have you ever worked for the federal government? I actually did for a little while in the military. There are volumes and volumes and volumes of books with rules and conflict of interest laws and regulations. 
What was he doing in China? You know, there are some people who have noticed that Hunter Biden has done very well financially, that there have been financial deals between him and Chinese interests. Every time, though, every time we go there, the fake news does their very best to protect Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. I wonder, uh, I don't accept these uh, so-called fact-checking um, projects because, well, the laptop, the laptop I know involves mostly Russia, but no one's debunked that. And they went so far out of their way to kick it offline. Remember, they would censor the New York Post and Joe Biden lied about it. He did before all of us, before all of us. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is, has all the four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend, Rudy Gianni. You mean the laptop is now no. another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? And that's exactly be. what is this that's where exactly you're going? This is told. where he's going. The laptop that, right. is Russia, yes. Russia, Gentlemen, Russia? I want to stay on the issue of race. You okay? have to be kidding. Here Mr. we go President? again with Russia. I love that when he gets confronted by Trump and you can see Joe is a little bit scared because he's being called out. Um, they didn't exactly say that, but Joe is right. He did get cover from uh, several former officials in the intelligence world. A whole bunch of them put together a, uh, a letter saying that it was possibly could be not exactly possibly could be Russian misinformation. But guess what? They gave themselves a great big strong out. We want to emphasize that we do not know if the emails are genuine or not, and that we do not have evidence of Russian involvement. Uh, the swamp protected Joe, but they also gave themselves a way out just in case this stuff is true. And so far, nobody has proved that it's not. In fact, the overwhelming evidence is that that laptop was legitimate. They pretend that this story is fake, but it's not. And Hunter Biden remains under federal investigation. What did President Biden talk to President Xi about? Was it just our interests? Could Hunter have come up? Could his decision to leave Afghanistan in such a hasty and reckless way have had anything to do with Hunter and his business ties in China? We'll see. I'll be right back. Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. Terror attacks 20 years ago, September 11, 2001, a horrible, horrible day. We lost almost 3,000 people. Uh, the worst day, but, you know, Mayor Giuliani said, in some ways, we saw the best in so many people. We saw the best, quite frankly, in the mayor, Mayor Giuliani that day, 
tremendous leadership from him and also from the man you'll see behind him in a moment. That's Bernard Carrick. He was the police commissioner of the city of New York at the time. And I'm just so glad both of those men were on duty that day to lead us out of this, of that crisis. And uh, we're privileged once again to have uh, the former police commissioner of New York City with us, Bernard Carrick. Welcome back, Commissioner. How are you? I'm good, Greg. This is, uh, well, that was an amazing day. It was a tough day. What are your thoughts right now? My thoughts, uh, they're generated around something you just said, you know. We saw amazing heroics that day, right? I, I think that people don't realize that the men and women of the NYPD, the Port Authority, and the Fire Department in New York City on 9-11 affected the greatest rescue mission in the history of this country. They took between 20 and 25,000 people out of those buildings, and they evacuated almost a million people out of southern Manhattan into the four boroughs. If you can remember back then, the Brooklyn Bridge, 150,000 people crossing the bridge constantly all afternoon, uh, all morning. Um, it was a feat that's never been done before, and hopefully it never has to be done again. But it demonstrates the courage, the, the, the perseverance, um, the heroics that these guys, uh, the men and women in the NYPD, do every single day. And nobody knows it better than I do, better than you do, your father. You know, we, we've had the privilege and the honor to lead them, but leading them on September 11th was um, a, a privilege uh, that I'll never forget. You had an evacuation mission, you had a rescue mission, and at the same time you had to protect the city because we didn't know what was going to happen next, and I believe all kinds of threats were coming through, and uh, we didn't know what was going to happen next. Well, you know what it was? Uh, after the second plane hit, uh, and we realized that it was a second attack, and it was the city was under attack. My concern was, did they plan ground attacks? Was there something planned in the mass transit system? Um, what are the buildings are going to be hit if they have other plans? I called for the evacuation of headquarters, of City Hall, of the Empire State Building, the United Nations. In my mind, I was trying to think of every single building that would be the equivalent of something like the towers. What else could they hit? Uh, unknown, unknowns to me that they were already heading toward Washington. You went from there to service uh, overseas, actually. You were in Iraq helping to set up security uh, just a few years after 9-11. Quite frankly, during those years, I thought Afghanistan was under control. And um, I thought we had that one kind of in the bag, but we didn't. I never fully understand, uh, understood. You saw what happened last week. How do you feel about that? The Taliban will be celebrating again. You know, I, I, was, I was just thinking of that before we started. You know, you and I were in Iraq together. When we saw each other in Iraq, did you ever think this would happen? I didn't. And, and for me, it's, it's, uh, I think it's more personal to, to most. And here's why. On October 7th, 2001, um, just a couple weeks after the towers uh, were hit, I was in my car, I was on the way to Yankee Stadium. It was at nighttime, there was a Yankee game, the mayor wanted me to meet him, and the mayor called my car, and he said, it's happening. And I didn't know what he meant. I said, what, what do you mean it's happening? He said, remember when the president was here that Friday? He told you he would call us and tell us when we were gonna hold him accountable. He said, he just called me. He told me to call you and tell you 
It's happening right now. And I diverted. I didn't go to Yankee Stadium. I went down to headquarters. We secured the city. But I, I, I go from that in my head to being on the phone with the mayor when we were going into Afghanistan to annihilate the people that did this to having Joe Biden surrender the country of Afghanistan to the Taliban. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Can I ask you one thing about that? October 7th. Now, this has been brought to light. There are some people out there, and I think it's a valid question. He, you got the call on October 7th. They told you. Maybe that call should have come through um, the morning of September 12th. Maybe we gave them too much of a head start. Have you ever considered that? I, I, I look back, and it's easy to look back, but um, maybe if we had gone in harder, faster, without so much... Earlier. Earlier, and... Uh, without all this talk about building democratic ex institutions in a country that doesn't seem to be cut out for that. Well, you, you know, it's funny, and I, I often, uh, you know, people come to me and they say, you know, we need to work on diplomacy and, and democracy in countries like Afghanistan. Okay, the reality is the Taliban is, you know, they live under rocks, for God's sakes. They don't want to know anything about diplomacy. There is no negotiating with the Taliban. And to watch Mealy or listen to the president or the president's press secretary say that we're going to coordinate and communicate and negotiate with the Taliban is a farce. It's a joke. Because unless they've completely, unless they're completely delusional and they've forgotten that for the last 20 years, these are the people we've been fighting. Well, Commissioner, Bernie, we're glad you were on duty that day. You had a hell of a lot on your plate. You know, I, uh, I was on duty myself that day. Did I ever show you this picture? I did not have nearly as much on my plate, but I was just holding a microphone. But by the time uh, World Trade Center 7 came down, a few minutes prior, there I am. That's right at Church in Cortland Street. Uh, which is across the street. Greg, you look like you're 12, man. <laughs> you look like you're 12 years old. Yeah, well, uh, 20 years ago, you know? And uh, that was right before 7 came down. But uh, give my best to the mayor. I know you'll be seeing him tomorrow, and you'll actually also be seeing the president, uh, not tomorrow, but on, on, on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden will be at the World Trade Center. Anything to say to him? He surrendered Afghanistan. I have nothing to say to him. I just have nothing to say. Commissioner Carrick, thank you again. Great, thank you. All right, we'll be right back. I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. I don't know. I'm checking around it. I don't think Joe Biden, the president, has the authority to do this. Uh, Alan Dershowitz, the famous professor from Harvard, professor emeritus at the Harvard Law School, joins us. Now, he is the author of a book. It's called The Case for Vaccine Mandates. It comes out next month. But I'm told, however, he's not for this mandate. So I think we're in agreement, I hope. Professor, first of all, welcome back. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Thank you. I think the federal government probably does have the power to order mandates 
for federal employees and for federal contractors. The question is, with our system of separation of powers, is it the president who has the power through the Department of Labor and OSHA, or is it the legislature that has those powers? In my book, I have a chapter on who decides. And I take the position that constitutionally, the legislature has the power to decide. Now, President Biden calls it an emergency, but it doesn't come into effect for 75 days, as I understand it. And this problem has been around now since day one of his presidency. He had plenty of time to go to the legislature and seek authorization to do this. And I think that the courts will look askance at the exercise of presidential power as distinguished from legislative power. But nobody can predict how the courts will react to this kind of an emergency. All right. Uh, well, so you, you think he has the power only through the legislature, though? He cannot only, th only through the, the legislature. Power. I don't think he has the power. I understand. So let me ask you this. I mean, and th this is possibly outside your expertise, but we did lose a war about a week ago in Afghanistan. And I sense a, a real urge to try to change the subject. You mentioned he could have done this or sought this much earlier. He didn't. Could this have something to do with Operation well, Change the Subject, as some are calling it? Well, I can tell you that the problem is very similar. We never should have been in Afghanistan without Congress declaring war. And the president has now taken over, frankly, for the last hundred years, the power to wage war. That's unconstitutional. The Constitution explicitly says only Congress can declare war. So what we don't do is we don't declare war. We just send soldiers who get killed and who uh, kill others. Um, and so it's very much of the same uh, uh, process. Now, I, I can't get into President Biden's mind. I know him. I like him. I've known him 41 years. I voted for him. Um, but I, I, I am neutral when it comes to analyzing the Constitution, and I'm just not sure he has the authority without legislative authorization to make 80 million people and more get uh, vaccinated. Now, there is an out. You cannot get vaccinated and have a test. Um, that's a little bit of an out, but most of the people probably will have to get vaccinated to keep their jobs. So, uh, by the way, I just want to remind our viewers, you may have voted for Joe Biden, but you also defended Donald Trump during that sham impeachment trial. And you are absolutely brilliant. Let me put up, however, the side effects, the potential side effects for the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, and some of them are, quite frankly, you know, pretty, pretty significant. Uh, blood clots, potentially nerve disorder, heart inflammation, abnormal menstruation, all kinds of things. So let's go forward. Let's uh, pretend for a moment that this is somehow the law of the land and the courts say it's okay. And someone comes to you and says, sorry, professor, but I'm afraid of all this stuff. I don't really want this in my body. Yeah, that sounds like a case that should be winnable. Well, it's potentially winnable. Remember that you don't have to get the vaccine. You just don't work for the federal government. You can stay home. The question is whether you have the right to endanger fellow workers, to endanger other people by not getting the vaccine. Obviously, there's nothing is risk-free. Not getting the vaccine has enormous potential for hospitalizing and killing you and others. Getting the vaccine has some small side effects. The same is true of every vaccine, of polio, of smallpox, of measles. Um, and, and so who makes the balanced judgment? Under our system of democracy, the legislature should have hearings and should make that judgment, not the president of the United States. He declares it an emergency, but it's not the kind of emergency that I think the Constitution gives the president the power to make the law. Presidents enforce the law. 
The legislature makes the law, and the judiciary decides whether the law is unconstitutional or constitutional. That's our system of checks and balances and separation of powers. And I'll just point out, I'm pretty today he did actually say employers, private employers who employ more than 100 people, it will be mandatory in the private sector, affecting 80 million people, 4 million people on the federal workforce, they're affected. Most likely right. um, there's more authority there. But he's talking about the private sector as well. I want to play you this from Kamala Harris from the debate. And strangely enough, even though I'd change the names, we might be in agreement. <laughs> if the doctors tell us that we should take it, I'll be the first in line to take it. Absolutely. But if Donald Trump tells us I should that we should take it, I'm not taking it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, look, my position is I took the vaccination. I did it. It was my choice, uh, my family's choice. I'm not going to tell anybody else to do it. And if you have any reason at all to not take it, Kamala Harris wouldn't have taken it just because President Trump was involved. That's kind of interesting. It is interesting because you can't make ad hominem constitutional decisions. Is she saying a president can't authorize it? Doesn't matter whether it's Trump or Biden. Or is she saying that she wouldn't do it just because it was a man named Trump? That's not constitutionally authorized. The president either has the power or doesn't have the power. And I have my doubts about whether the president has the power over, when you put them all together, close to 100 million people. And that's the kind of thing that the framers of the Constitution allocated to members of the House of Representatives, the Senate subject to presidential veto and subject to judicial review by the Supreme Court. We ought to go by the rules, not, not, not have emergency uh, uh, executive actions when the emergency has been one that's lasted as long as this presidency and probably will last as long as the presidency. You know, we still are in a state of emergency over the Korean War. And so you cannot allow the word emergency to basically undo constitutional rights. Professor Alan Dershowitz, Professor Emeritus at the Harvard Law School, thank you again. Check out his Dershow podcast, some great episodes there. And uh, I like guilt by accusation and also this new book I'll be taking a look for as well, The Case for Vaccine Mandates. Uh, but you explained all that. Professor, thanks again. Thank you so much. You bet. We'll be right back. On January 6th, did you know that the Republican National Committee and the Democrat National Committee, there were attempted bombings there. This is footage of an individual who may have just planted a bomb at both the Democratic National Headquarters in Washington, D.C. and the Republican National Committee, also in Washington, D.C. Uh, yesterday, some new footage of apparently this individual was released by the FBI it's slightly clearer. Let's take it full. You can see a little uh, scooter there off to the left. They're hoping that this will lead to the uh, potential bomber. Now, these devices never actually detonated, but still posed a huge, huge threat. Now, something interesting about all of this. I mentioned this was an attempted bombing of two major party headquarters, the Democrat 
headquarters and the Republican headquarters. The FBI put a statement out when they put this new footage uh, out to the public that an unknown individual placed two pipe bombs in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of Washington, D.C. The video contains footage from along the suspect's route. They are again downplaying that political headquarters were targeted, including the Republican National Committee. Now, the fake news has been doing this for a while. They've been ignoring the fact that the RNC was targeted and just saying that the Democrats were targeted. New surveillance of the person who placed pipe bombs before the Capitol riot, walking with a backpack, the moment the suspect may have left a bomb in a park near Democratic headquarters. Democratic headquarters, Democratic headquarters. They weren't saying anything about Republican headquarters. Hey, I want to actually thank Lester Holt because that's several months ago. Now, on last night's uh, edition, he's saying both parties were targeting. Also tonight, the FBI releasing new video of the suspect who placed pipe bombs near DNC and RNC headquarters hours before the Capitol riot. That was the right thing to do. Finally, they should have done it all along. Meanwhile, have you heard about the uh, Robert E. Lee statue that was taken down in Richmond, Virginia? Uh, it had been there for about 100 years. Everybody showed up. They were uh, shouting. They were all gleeful, cheering uh, that this thing came down. And the mainstream media loved it. The largest remaining Confederate statue in America, honoring Civil War General Robert E. Lee, taken down. We were ecstatic, you know, we all screamed to the top of our lungs. There is a victory in seeing the monument come down. This is not only a historic day for the Commonwealth of Virginia, it's a historic day for this nation. So, listen, I think everybody's being used here, right? Being used, being manipulated. I'm not sure who the forces are, how they're operating, but those statues were there when Barack Obama was president and nobody cared. The issue was, I believe, weaponized when Donald Trump became president. Reasonable people can disagree about these statues, but they're trying to say everybody who disagrees with them now are racists and bigots, and that's just not true. That's not true. Um, it's interesting. There was so much attention on the Robert E. Lee statue coming down that a genuine racial attack, um, racist attack, I should say, on this man, Larry Elder, running for governor now of California, the hottest political race in the country, was essentially ignored by the mainstream media. This man has a very good chance of being the next governor of California. He happens to be black. Certain white liberals hate that, and they tried this. You see that? She's wearing a gorilla mask. A white woman attacking a black man who happens to be conservative, saying all kinds of horrible, horrible things. That was a genuine example of racial bigotry, and it happened yesterday. And the mainstream media are talking about something, a general who was alive 150 years ago. Go figure, huh? You know, 
I do miss President Trump, and I'm glad he's out there. We talked to us just a couple of weeks ago, and his words during his presidency, they, they still resonate. All this uh, taking down statues, it's ludicrous. You know, they have started taking down statues of George Washington. Vandals have. He predicted it four years ago. George Washington was a slave owner. Was George Washington a slave owner? So will George Washington now lose his status? He's right. And he's right. That's actually happening. You know, there are people in the Bible who at one point had slaves. I think they're going to come after religion next, big time. They already started, but it's going to go into overdrive. That's their next target. We got to be ready. Black Lives Matter, of course they do. Not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. No, Black Lives Matter, especially the life of eight-year-old Peyton P.J. Evans, shot and killed on Tuesday, August 24th, near Landover, Maryland. That's just outside of Washington. Peyton was celebrating his football team's victory with friends and family outside of his apartment building just after eight at night, a car, a white car, pulled into the parking lot. A shooter stepped out and opened fire. Uh, and one of those bullets hit Peyton. His mother, of course, is devastated. My son was rocking out with his football team yesterday in a scrimmage. Ten minutes, 20 minutes later, after that scrimmage, he had a good game. My son got shot in his head to senseless violence. He loved school. He was a math whiz, man. That boy loved school. He bust his tail to make sure he came home with good grades because mommy ain't play that. And he did what he had to do even when he felt like he couldn't. He pushed himself. No suspects, no known motives. Police are positive. Peyton was not the intended target. What a great kid. And what a great mom. He was just eight years old. Peyton P.J. Evans. This country was made by tax rebels, freedom fighters, gold seekers, believers, lovers, and true patriots. We're Newsmax, and we're their heirs, and so are you. Newsmax TV, real news for real people. So there's a friend of Newsmax, friend of mine, actually. His name is Monsignor Franco. He's a terrific uh, man of cloth, of course, and uh, he's also an author, and he's written a book called Six Popes, A Son of the Church Remembers. It's also about Italian immigrants. It's very, very nice, published by Humanix. Well, here's what's pretty cool. <laughs> a pope has or is reading the book. Pope Francis himself has been photographed with a copy of this book in his hand, and uh, Six Popes, A Son of the Church Remembers, is uh, written from a unique eyewitness vantage point, the uh, publishing blurb says. Many of the events and movements that shaped our world and the Catholic Church, this there really is no other book like it. We congratulate Monsignor Franco, and uh, we think the Pope has chosen very wisely. Thank you very much for supporting Newsmax. To be continued, and stand by for Stinchfield.